Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that it's your will for us to have revelation from your word. And I pray that as we look at it tonight, that you will give us revelation and understanding of what you want to say. Lord, I believe that tonight as we sow the seed of your word into our hearts, that we have revelation that is deep and in good soil so the enemy can't come and steal it from us. Lord, I believe that we understand and we walk in the truth that we hear and that we, we choose as we bow our hearts to you, we choose to submit to what you say and refuse to bow the knee or the heart or anything else to what the world says that contradicts your word. Father, we thank you tonight. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, tonight, I'm going to begin with uh, three different passages of Scripture. And I'm not going to read them one after the other because I'm going to talk about each one before I go to the next one. But I want to start, first of all, with Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. Proverbs 28, verse 1 says this, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's an interesting passage of Scripture because it says the wicked flee when no man pursueth. What it's talking about is talking about their conscience. It's talking about the wicked. They always feel like something is after them because their conscience, even though it's seared, their conscience bothers them. They know that there's wickedness in their life and it's like they're always looking over their shoulder because they understand there's a reckoning for their wickedness. And so they flee. Their whole life is, is like that. I mean, you've seen, remember the old Perry Mason shows when he would have them in the courtroom and he'd be cross-examining someone and, and finally their, their conscience bothered them so bad that they stood up and said, yes, I killed him, I did it, and because their conscience bothered them. Well, the wicked, their conscience is always bothering them and they're always fleeing and they don't want to hear anything that reminds them of their sin. They want to hear it at all. Well, the wickedness of today's politically correct cancel culture, the LGBTQ, the BLM, all those other uh, socialist slash communist entities, their wickedness drives them to want to silence everyone who opposes their ideology. They do not want to hear any truth they don't want to hear anything that opposes what they, what they believe. They don't want even to hear it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear it because their conscience is seared and they don't want to open that thing back up. They don't want to hear that sound. They don't want a voice of righteousness and they will go to any length to cancel any reminder of the truth in the past or in the present. They do not want to hear it. That's why they want the statues to go away. That's why they want to rewrite history. They don't want to hear it. Because if they hear it, then it reminds them of their sin. Reminds them of where they are. They don't want to hear anything that speaks for God. Not at all. Listen, their Equality Act is not about equality. It's about cancellation. I mean, they want to cancel truth. They want to cancel masculinity. They want to cancel anything that would remind them of their sin. 
They want to cancel all of those things. They want to make it silent. Listen, the ultimate goal has to be to cancel the church. Do you realize that? The Equality Act is not about equality. It's about making people comply, making people conform, making the church. The church then now has to, cannot talk against gay marriage, can't talk against uh, abortion, can't talk against anything that would make people feel uncomfortable because the wickedness, they're, 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 they're fleeing when no one's pursuing them. And they want to silence anything that opposes them. By the way, what I just said you probably will never hear in a church pulpit. Unless <laughs> it's, it's just they're not going to talk about that. We have to mention it. It has to be talked about. I mean, these people are not our friends. They want to silence us. They want to make it so that we can't say what we want to say. They don't want to hear anything. However, the righteous are bold as a lion. And that's where the church needs to be. The root word for lion, the root word is the, is, is the, uh, the Hebrew word kafir. kafir. And that, that's, the, that's the word for atonement in the Old Testament. Atonement. Now, it means to cover, literally, as, because the lion is covered with the mane. But it also means atonement. It means to cancel. And it means to cover. All right. Noah covered the ark with pitch. The, Greek word, the Hebrew word for pitch is Fair. It's he covered it so it wouldn't leak. He canceled the leak. He covered it. And so that's what the, that's what the word is about. The, the righteous are bold as a lion. The cancel culture needs to know if we can be bold as a lion, the cancel culture needs to know that their sins can be canceled. That their, that their judgment can be canceled. They don't have to flee when no one's pursuing them because all of that can be canceled if they'll simply receive the sacrifice of Jesus by faith and that gift is theirs because our sins are canceled and because they're canceled, we can be bold as a lion. Listen, the church needs to rise up in this hour as a lion. You know, when we received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in the early 70s, it was more like the lamb. We all spoke in tongues and we went to parks and prayed in tongues and laid hands on people. I'm telling you, the next, as the wave of God comes, it's going to be like a lion this time. And God's going to move and the church is going to speak truth and they're going to speak it loudly. It says that, we should, that, the, that the righteous are bold. The word bold literally means to be confident. It's translated secure, uh, sure, Careless, as in being carefree. We could care less about what they think or what they say. I mean, the church, we as believers should be confident. You've got to know what you believe in order to be confident. If you don't know what you believe, you can't be confident. You've got to know what you believe to be confident in prayer. Most Christians spend their whole time begging God for things when we need to be confident in what he's already promised us. And as we confess, as we pray with God, we're agreeing with what he's already said. And there's confidence that he will do what he says he will do. We need to be secure. We need to be carefree. We need to be people who know our God and understand what he will do. Isaiah chapter 26 tells us that if our minds are stayed upon him, we just stay our minds upon him, that he will keep us in perfect peace. The phrase perfect peace in the Hebrew is, are the two words shalom, shalom. So I've done that twice in the whole Old Testament. Shalom, shalom. Complete completion. Absolutely. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. It says if our minds are stayed upon him, he keeps us in shalom, shalom, because, because we trust in him. When we learn to trust him, I mean, 
We don't have to be worried. We don't have to be upset. If we are worried and upset about what's going on in the world, in their system, then the problem is we trust in the wrong system. Our God is bigger than all of that. All you got to do is read the Bible one time and you find out that governments collapsed because of the people of God. One time through, you find that God miraculously delivered his people over and over again, miraculously promoted them in places of leadership, miraculously put them in places where that he could work through them and God's purpose could be accomplished in them. I mean, he even worked through Samson and that guy, he wasn't even a great guy, but he accomplished his purpose in that guy. So we understand that God, if we simply will trust him, if we'll fix our mind upon him, the Bible tells us that if we've been born again, that we need to, we need to uh, set our affection on things above. We need, that needs to be our focus. It needs to be different. We need to be confident in what God has said. Not lo- Listen, we don't need to look to what, 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 what the Biden administration is doing. We need to look at God because God is bigger than Biden bigger than Harris, bigger than Congress. God is bigger than all those things together. We need to be absolutely confident in our God. We need to be like the little boy who was playing with his baseball bat and his ball in the backyard and he he would take the ball and he would throw it up in the air and he said, I am the greatest batter in the world. He'd throw it up and swung at it and missed it. He said, strike one. I am the greatest batter in all the world. He would throw it up Swing with all of his might, and he missed it. Strike two. I am the greatest batter in all the world. So he took the ball, threw it up the third time, swung as hard as he could, and he missed it. And he said, strike three. Wow, what a pitcher. We need to decide. We're not going to lose this thing. We are God's people. The righteous are bold as a lion. Listen to this verse of Scripture. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, Now when they saw, talking about they is, 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 is the high priest, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these leaders of, of the Jewish culture, the Jewish society. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I like this, and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Here we got these two guys, Peter and John. I mean, a miracle had taken place. Peter had just said to these people that salvation doesn't come in any other name than the name of Jesus. I mean, he was ruffling their feathers in every way possible. And they said, they're trying to make him be quiet. And they just said, you know what? It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what God said. And they, 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 were, they marveled at the boldness of Peter and John. They were bold, and they took knowledge of the fact they had been with Jesus. Peter was not afraid to tell these religious leaders that Jesus was their answer. And he knew that that wasn't the, that what they wanted to hear, but he had the boldness, the leading of the Spirit, and he told them exactly what the truth was. Being with Jesus should affect us in a way that makes us confidently bold in what he said to do. They were bold. They had the boldness. It should affect the church the same way. The church should not cower down to the cancel culture. The church should cancel the cancel culture. 
and bring the message of Jesus in the face of, of this adversarial position modern culture has put us in. The church should be bold. We should have boldness. The word boldness here in the Greek means all outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, publicity, assurance. We need to be bluntly frank about what's happening. We need, we need, people need to know that without Jesus, there's no answer to the problem. There's no answer to the problems we, we have in our society apart from Jesus. The Vines Expository Dictionary defines the word to dare to do. I like that definition. These guys, they dared to do what Jesus told them to do because they had been with him. When we spend time with Jesus... When we spend time meditating in His Word, we spend time in fellowship with Him in prayer, we will dare to do what He tells us to do. I'm not talking about praying prayers that we remind God of all that's wrong in the world. I'm talking about fellowshipping with God, reminding Him of His Word, reminding Him of His promise, reminding Him of what He said He would do and what He called us to do. And I'll tell you, we will have the boldness to do what He says to do. It seems to me like much of the church has lost that today. Much of the church is apologizing to the world for our stand for Jesus. We have nothing to apologize for. Now, granted, some church people have been rude. Some preachers have been rude. We don't have to be rude, but we need to dare to do what Jesus said to do. We must dare to do it. I mean, churches are afraid to be canceled by the culture. The culture needs to be afraid to be canceled by the church. I mean, their whole system is, is rocky at best. And, and, and churches have become like the wicked. And they're afraid what may come if they take the stand on these unpopular Bible topics that are like the things that the cancel culture loves. What happens if the church speaks in favor of biblical marriage between a man and a woman? What happens when that... I mean. Have you heard a sermon about that in a long time? No, no, because the church doesn't want to address that topic. What about, what about the, the, the slaughter of the innocents in our land? I'm talking about the unborn. Why aren't we raising our voice? Why are we willing to sit by and let the wicked continue to destroy these children, to offer them as sacrifices to their God of convenience? The church ought to be saying something. We need to be bold. We need to spend time with Jesus. All that indicates to me is the church isn't spending time with Jesus. Because if we're spending time with him, we will be bold. We will take a stand. The scripture says, this is the third one, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. If there's a spirit of fear in the church, it wasn't from God. And if it wasn't from God, guess who it's from? It's from our enemy. The word fear means timidity in the Greek language or faithlessness. God didn't give us the spirit of timidity. He didn't give us the spirit that's afraid to stand up for what Jesus has called us to do. We've been given a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. All of those things cause us to do what we've been called to do. 
calls us to say what we've been told to say. Timidity is not from God. The church has become timid because we just want to fit in. We don't want to make waves. Have you ever read the book of Acts? Think about it. They said these people that have turned the world upside down have come here. And they were afraid of that because the church made a difference in its society. The church, listen, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't needful of having to be recognized as, as, as nice, sweet people. They, they needed to preach Jesus Christ. And that has never been in any part of the world that I know of other than here in the States. It's never been, it's never been accepted by the society. It always runs contrary to the culture. And we must be willing to preach Jesus Christ. The church has become timid. The church has become faithless. But here's the good news. I believe a new day is coming. I believe it's already dawned. I believe a new day is coming. There's a new kind of believer being raised up. And I believe that some of these new kinds of believers are old believers like you and me. They've been around a long time, but there's a fire that's getting ready to start that's already started that's stirring on the inside of us. Too, too many of us are no longer willing to be lulled asleep by lukewarm, self-centered, carnal sermons, to be entertained by a worship concert, to be impressed by lights and fog. We want the real thing. We want real revival. We want something to happen that we've never seen before, but that we know, we'll know it when we get there because our hearts yearn for it. We're no longer willing to just sit on the sideline. Listen, God is raising up new kinds of pastors all over America. They're receiving a new mandate that will awaken a sleeping church. And I'll tell you, the church just needs to wake up because she is a giant. If we could just wake up and agree together on, on, on things, <clears throat> a lot of these things would never happen that are happening in our, in our society today. I mean, those, those that are in the entertainment business model churches, they're being passed over. Because they refuse to change. They refuse to embrace what God is saying. Revival will only come through change. The word repent means to change. Revival will come on the heels of repentance. Repentance means to change. We've got to change. Not just, we want, we want this real, real revival. Not just singing emotional songs and, and not just talking about it. We want a real revival. Let me tell you what that will do. It will change the culture that we live in. Real revival will affect everyone around us. We need a fog in the church building, but not the fog from a machine. Have you ever read the stories of Azusa Street? I mean, fog filled that old warehouse and, and Seymour was standing, standing up there on boxes and, and the fog filled, filled the warehouse. There are stories about children who would just play in the fog. And they didn't know that, I mean, they're just kids. They didn't understand it was the presence of God. Because he came and he filled the place. We need, I don't care if we have fog or not. I want revival. Real, supernatural revival that affects everyone and everything around it. I mean, we need to have it. In today's world, sin needs to be addressed. It needs, someone needs to talk about it. Someone needs to mention that there's sin. Holiness needs to be taught. It's a shame, and I've said this many times, it's a shame for people living in sin to come to church for a year and never get out of their sin and never be convicted to change. 
because it's never addressed. It's never mentioned because we don't want to offend anyone and we want them to keep bringing their money. The Bible must be the center of the sermon. It must be what the sermon is about, not just an occasional reference. It must be taught. People must have the Word of God. Jesus wants back in His church. He wants to come back and take over. I mean, there, that's why preachers can, there's some, some preachers can no longer stand the lukewarm mega show. They're teaching, today, in today's world, I don't know if you realize this or not, preachers are preaching in living rooms. They're, they're preaching in parks. I mean, we had the guy preaching at it at, at the restaurant last week and a thousand people came to hear. I mean, they're, they're preaching in places that are, that, are, that are not normal, that we would think are normal. I mean, they're, they're renting halls. They're speaking boldly the Word of God to people who are hungry for the real and not just for the show. That's what we need to have. Listen, I believe this is a time when the eagles will no longer stay cooped up in the chicken yard. I mean, we've been caged like chickens, but eagles can't stay in the chicken yard. Because they've heard a sound. And they've heard eagles fly over. And they hear the sound. And it's like, wait a minute. That's my sound. Not this, this, not this, not this chicken yard. And we can no longer ignore it. And we've got to soar in the heights. There, it's a time when, we, when, when eagles can no longer just peck for food out of the dirt and the poop. But somehow we've got to get out of this. And get fresh food every day. I believe that's what God is saying to the church. And I believe it's in the hearts of believers all over this country. Not just for this country, but for the world that depends upon the gospel of Jesus Christ going from the United States of America into the rest of the world. God is calling us. Here's what our prayer needs to be. And these need to be our results. Acts chapter 4, we, I read to you that they, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They told me, they said, now, we're going we're gonna to spank you a little bit and we're going to tell you never preach in this name again. And do not heal anybody else. Now get out. It says, and they're praying, and this is in the middle of their prayer. It says, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now this is phenomenal. They're saying, don't be bold anymore. Don't do it anymore. And they're praying and saying, now, God, we're going to ask you that you will give us more boldness. <laughs> Society, the cancel culture. They were trying to cancel these guys. The cancel culture said, don't do it. And they said, Lord, give us more. And, they, and, and this is how they wanted it. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. They said, don't do it anymore. They said, God, give us some more of it. If they don't like it, it must be good. If they don't want it, and they're opposing you, then what we're doing is the right thing. And then it says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now this interesting passage, they were already filled with the Holy Ghost. A lot of these people had been there on the day of Pentecost. They were already filled with the Holy Ghost. But they prayed a bold prayer. They got a bold answer. And all of a sudden they were filled with the Holy Ghost. That is what we crave. Why should we be filled again? 
Because we leak, apparently. Where is the fire? Where is the zeal? Where is that? We need the fire of God once again. And I believe that you and I are just the people to get it. You and I are just the ones to be filled again. You remember what it was like? The first time. You couldn't, you had, you had the best that I had, the worst case of I can't stop talking about Jesus to everybody that I knew. I got spirit filled and I called, wrote letters or went to see every person that I'd ever sinned with and told them about Jesus. That's the fire we need to have. We can't just sit back and let things keep going. we got to be on our face before God. We need to have boldness in the Spirit. We need to be filled and refilled. The Scripture says, be being filled with the, with the Spirit. We need to be being filled, constantly being filled with the Spirit. We need boldness. Listen, the return of Jesus is at hand. We must be about the business of teaching the saints so they can be about the business of teaching the saints. We must be about the business of healing the hurting so that they can be about the business of healing the hurting. We need God to move in our land. We need the wicked to hear that Jesus is their answer. We need the hurting to heal, hear that Jesus is their answer. We need believers to hear that it's not time to sit back and do nothing. It's time to be taught the Word so that believers can be doing the work of the ministry instead of expecting someone else, some preacher to be doing it for them. We need people to rise up in this hour. I believe the time is short and we've got to train the people of God to be doers of the word and doers of the work. I mean, we need to take, we need the boldness to come once again. Listen, I believe with all my heart that the rapture is at hand and we want to take as many people with us when we go. Here's what I want. I want to take, and I believe I'm going to, to take every grandchild, every child, and when I go in the rapture, if I'm still here, I'm going to take them, and they're going. To, my kids are going to take their kids, and we're going to take the whole clan to heaven. I believe that, and I pray that for you. I believe we need to believe for that tonight, that we're taking every child and every grandchild. Now, I might be wrong. What happens if the rapture doesn't come very soon? What if it's in the far distance? What if it doesn't? There's a generation right now that is largely ignorant of the Word of God. They've never seen a move of the Spirit. They've never seen the power of the Holy Ghost. They've never seen it happen, even though many of them attend church. Go all the time. They've never seen it happen. They've had emotional encounters. They've had all kinds of things they've seen, but they've never experienced the reality of God. They're ignorant of His Word, ignorant of His power. Their connection is mostly in their feelings and their emotions. We, we've, got to, we've got to take these people. We've got to reach these people. We've got a lot to do. We need the fire of God in us, and it needs to be so contagious that anybody gets near us, they catch on fire too. We've got to reach this next generation because the next generation, I mean, they're destined to a life of bondage to the government if we don't reach them with the gospel. It's time. We've got to take a stand. Either way, we've got to know what does the Bible say? 
What does it teach us? I mean, if the rapture is coming, what does it even say about the rapture? You know, I think people are ignorant of, of the rapture. They're ignorant of what, what, what's going to take place. Why is there even a rapture? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> We're going to talk about that over the next few times. So we've been talking about the rapture of the church, and we've looked at it the last two times we've been together. I mean, isn't it exciting to look forward to the rapture? I mean, you know, I remember when I was, when I was young, I thought, no, no, I don't want the rapture to come because I want to get married and, you know, have kids and stuff. I didn't really think about the kids, but I wanted to get married. And, and, and I wanted to have a fun life. But you know, the older you get, it's like, hey, rapture would be all right right about now. <laughs> that would be okay. It's, an ex- it's exciting. It's exciting to think about that Jesus will truly come again. And we will truly meet him in the air. I mean, we're going to go from here. Uh, it's, that is just an amazing thing to even think about. That, that it's as, as surely... As he came the first time to Bethlehem, he is coming again to meet us in the air. There is no question. The Bible has prophesied it, has spoken about it, and just imagine that event. How, man, that that just excites my whole soul just to think about meeting Jesus in the air. And I'm confident, I'm absolutely confident. Whether we, whether we go to the grave first and then meet him in the air or we meet him, I would like it to be, I want to be alive like this and meet him in the air. But, you know, either way, it's going to work. Now, I understand when I teach what I'm teaching, not everybody agrees with the way I teach this. And, and there are other opinions out there. And I'm not angry at them. I respect most of them. And hopefully they respect me. And I'm not going to argue with them. But I'm going to show you what the Bible says as clearly as I can. I want you to know what, what I can see. If I'm wrong... We're going to find out at some point. If they're wrong, they're going to find out at some point. But my job is to teach the Word the way I see it. And so that's why I'm teaching this. I believe there needs to be an understanding that Jesus will come back. And our lives need to reflect that fact that He's coming back. We've looked the last two times at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. And I'll read those to you. It says, For we say... For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Man, that's powerful. We've looked at lots of these Greek words over the last two times. We, from our study we, dis- we discover there's a literal return of Jesus. Now we're not talking about the second advent when he puts his feet on the ground because these are two different events. But we're, we're talking about the literal return of Jesus when he gathers his saints, the living remnant and the dead in Christ. He will gather us in the air with him, take us out of this world just in the nick of time to be with him in heaven. I believe it literally happens. And if you missed last week's teaching, I'm just going to encourage you to go online and, and listen to that recording because we talked about the meanings of these words and we found out what, they, what it literally was talking about. So tonight we're going to go to another passage of Scripture. It's not like this is hidden anywhere. I mean, this, the Apostle Paul in another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, verses 51 and 52, again talks about the rapture. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, as I've already mentioned, these two passages of Scripture, most of the time you hear them at a funeral. Okay, but this is not a funeral. We're talking about living. We're talking about what God is doing right now. We're going to look at these Greek words. We're going to discover some things that he said. The, the rapture, in my opinion, is a clear New Testament doctrine. And we should be looking forward to it. I mean, here in this passage, he gave us a few more details. I mean, just think about it. Just think about the rapture. Just think about how, how awesome that's going to be. I, mean, I just, I just, you know, you're sitting at the table with your friend at the restaurant, and 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 you're telling him about Jesus. You're trying to get him born again. You're trying to help him, and then all of a sudden, you're not there anymore. And he looks around. And it's like, where did he go? <laughs> and all the kids are gone. Many of the other adults are gone, and there he is, just him and the Democrats. I mean, the other lost people. <laughs> Just the ones that, I mean, what what kind? What, what, aren't you looking? I mean, I'm, I'm not looking for them getting left, but I want to see the headlines in the New York Times. I want to watch CNN that night if the Lord will let us. See what they have to say about that. I mean, just we go and we meet Jesus in the air. I like what Paul said. He said, behold, I show you a mystery. The word behold here is the Greek word edu. Edu describes bewilderment, shock, amazement, and wonder. He's like, wow. I'm getting ready to tell you something. I mean, this, this, is, this is getting ready to, it's going to bewilder you. He, what he was saying was so magnificent. It was dumbfounding. He was almost less speechless even though he's writing it. He said, wow, think about this. Why would he be that way? Because he's about to describe the resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the church. And this is something the Lord had revealed to him. And I mean, he's, he's, he's been keeping a lid on it for a little while. And now he's saying, now, wow, this is going to be awesome. I show you a mystery. The phrase I show, the Greek word is lego. Logos comes from this word. And it means I say. I'm telling you a mystery. I say a mystery. The mysteries are revealed by speech, by saying something, by writing something. It's, it's not in showing something. He said, I'm showing you a mystery. The word mystery, is, is the word is, is musterion, and it describes a mystery, a secret, a secret that was once hidden, but is now revealed. He said, wow, I'm going to tell you something, and this might blow your mind, but this is a secret that you're getting ready to get in on. What was the secret? What's well, the rapture of the church? He said, I'm going to show you a mystery. And then, he makes, then he makes an astounding statement that nobody had really heard of before. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We might not all sleep. The word sleep here is similar to the word asleep we read, which we said last week in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. The word is, is koimao, and it means to sleep, to sleep deeply, it is the word for the sleep of death or to be dead. We get the word coma or catacomb from that Greek word. He's telling believers both then and now that not every believer is going to die. Not everybody's going to go to heaven from the grave. There's going to be one generation of Christ followers in the last of the last days who will not see death in the physical body. 
I really want to be there. And so, and we're, as we study over the next few weeks, you're going to see we've got to be close to this day. He said, that generation shall be changed. The word changed here means to change or exchange. It's translated in another place to be transformed. It tells us that there are some of us who are alive. When Jesus returns, we're going to be snatched up suddenly into the lower atmosphere where Jesus meets us, and we're going to exchange our physical earthly bodies for a new kind of body. Ooh, that is going to be a good day when we get changed. It'll be miraculous. It'll be a supernatural transformation. Paul said, man, this is something. The verse says, what I'm about to say will totally flabbergast you. I think that's a good way to say it. But listen carefully. I'm going to tell you something that was previously an unknown mystery, but has now been revealed to us. Here it is. All will not die, but all, the dead and the living, will be altered, changed, miraculously modified, and transformed. We get to be altered. We get to be changed. Then he said, and we read this a minute ago, in the moment, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I like that. We're going to look at some of these words. The word moment is, 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 is the Greek word atomos. Atomos, and it describes an in, in, indivisible moment, a split second, an instant. Here he's saying, with this atomos, he's telling us that this transformation is going to happen so fast, it will be virtually impossible to detect with the human eye. Here I am at the table with my friend, and I mean in an atomos. The word, in, if you read it in English, and you try to sound it in English, it would say atomos, an atom. I mean, an atom is, is, is something that's tiny or microscopic. This, this atomos moment, I mean, it's in an instant. Here you are. You're sitting there with him. And, I mean, it's, it's almost, inde- almost, almost undetectable. We're sitting there at the table. And, I mean, in an atomos, a split second, all of a sudden, I'm there and then I'm gone. Somebody asked me last night. They said, so do we take our clothes with us or not? I don't know the answer to that one, except that we're, we're going to be clothed in glory. We're not going to need earthly clothes when we, get, when we meet Jesus in the air. I mean, in, in an automa, I, here's what I see. In an, in an automos, all of a sudden these streaks of light, because we're going to be clothed in glory. That's what Adam and Eve were clothed in the Garden of Eden. These streaks of light just, <laughs> and they're like, what, what, where are what, your clothes are still here? Somebody help me. My friend's naked. He's running around somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be so fast. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be absolutely a split second, an, an atomic second maybe, or something like that. Then he says, he asks me, he kind of describes it a little further. He says, he says, in the twinkling of an eye. The word twinkling, the Greek word is ripe, which describes a twinkling or a twitch. A twinkling or a twitch. Have you ever had a twitch? You have a twitch right in your eye? Did you see that? A twitch. Well, no, nobody saw it because it's too fast. It happens too quickly. I mean, the twinkling, the, the twitch is something so fast it cannot be detected. I mean, you get this twitch and nobody can see it. That's what's going to happen when the remnant of believers and the dead in Christ are raptured and transformed. It's going to be fast. We just need to be ready, Right? We, and I tell you, I really do want all these people to go with us. It says, at the last trump. This is when it happens. When the trumpet sounds. We read, we say last week, Jesus is going to shout. And that's going to summon 
the armies of God. He's, the, the archangel is going gonna, is gonna to make a noise. The trumpet is going to sound. The word trump here, it's the one we looked at last week. The, 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 the Greek word is salpiks, and it depicts a trumpet that boldly announces victory and the vanquishing of one's enemies at the outset of a military campaign. In other words, when the trumpet sounds, it says, we hear and we get ready to kick your tails. We will not lose. We are the victors. I mean, prophetically, the word indicates that moment when a trumpet was blasted to instigate a war and to declare the intended triumph and victory even at the outset of the war campaign. In other words, when that trumpet sounds, it's saying, this is the prophetic declaration, we win and you lose. The devil has thought and thought and thought somehow that he's going to win something. I don't know what he thinks he's going to win. When that trumpet sounds, he's going to know he's got seven years. And then it truly will be over for him. I mean, Paul is talking about this moment when Jesus descends from heaven, comes into the earth's low, into the, in the air's lower atmosphere. He gives the shout, and he's saying the battle is about to begin. He musters all the angel, angelic troops, galvanizes the saints in the earth. In this Atomos present moment of time, the church will be raptured, and the seven-year tribulation will begin. The moment we're gone, the timer starts. And we understand there'll be a battle at the end of that. It will be massive. And, but we already know that Jesus had the trumpet sounded and that he wins. Ooh, that's really good. And when that's over, Jesus comes. And he's not coming back the next, that time as a baby in a manger. When he comes back after that seven years, he's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then it says, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. Man, the trumpet sounds, the dead are raised incorruptible. I mean, we saw a little bit about this last week. The word dead here is the, is the Greek word nekros. It describes a lifeless corpse, a cadaver with no life left in it. In this case, it's plural. It means corpses. So it basically says the corpses shall be raised incorruptible. The corpses shall be raised. They're the dead in Christ. We know that from our teaching last week. It says that the believers who've already died will be raised incorruptible. This is a fantastic word. It, the, the, the Greek word is arphathos, and it means this. It means it describes something that is incapable of decay, that which is incapable of suffering the effects of wear, tear, and age. Hallelujah. Nowhere, no tear, no age ever again will show. We will, I mean, we will never, never suffer physically again because now we put on an incorruptible body. Everything changes. We, we, we get raptured and we're changed. It says that, that we, I think that, that describes how we be changed also. We get to have this, this, this indestructible our body cannot have decay. It cannot suffer the wear, the tear, or the age. Ooh, isn't that wonderful? I mean, I told him last night, and I, you know, I, half joking, but I think we all get to be 33 years old in heaven. I think that's going to be awesome. I mean, Jesus was 33, and he was the perfect sacrifice. And, you know, that's kind of like the prime age. And I've, I've heard testimonies of people who see loved ones in heaven, and they're always young again. You know, and I think that's going to be awesome. I don't know that. I can't prove that. But you can't prove I'm wrong either, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but we get to change our temporary 
mortal bodies for timeless, immortal, indestructible bodies. Isn't that going to be wonderful? I can't wait till I can run faster than my sons again. <laughs> That's going to be an awesome day. Ooh, maybe maybe we'll probably all run the same speed. I don't know how it works. But in this, it, it takes place in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the time of the rapture. Man, that's something to look forward to. In a moment. One minute we're here, and the next moment we're there. Well, what happens if, if Tammy and I are in different places? Oh, we're going to meet up at the same place. We always do. <laughs> the verse says, in a moment, in a split second, an indivisible atom of time, as fast as the twitch of an eye at the very last trump, that war trumpet will loudly sound to signal that final battle, ultimate victory and vanquishing of all of God's enemies is about to finally happen. That blast will be God's way of letting everyone know that his enemies have lost their footing and long-standing battle with him and that he reigns victorious and supreme in total victory. In that flash, the dead will stand upright on their feet and be resurrected to a brand new resurrected royal status. At that exact moment, he will miraculously, they will miraculously receive new bodies that are incapable of decay. They will never again show the effects of wear, tear, and age. Timeless, immortal, indestructible bodies. And we who are still alive when that happens will be supernaturally transformed as our old bodies are changed for the new ones that are also incapable of decay that will never again show the effects of wear, terror, age. Our bodies will literally be altered, changed, miraculously modified, and transformed into timeless, immortal, indestructible bodies. Man, won't that be great? I tell you, we have so much to look forward to. That is our future. That is our future. That's why, that's why the scripture says, why would we be afraid of a man? We have, we have God. Now I'm going to read one more passage here. This is also about the rapture. This is Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. And in time, we're going to look at other verses from Second Thessalonians chapter two. They're going to talk about the timing and the antichrist and all those things. It says, "Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him." It's about the rapture. I mean, Paul wrote these, wrote these verses so that we would understand there is a rapture of the church. There is a, a gathering together unto him. Now, it, when he wrote these verses in 2 Thessalonians, he wrote this to these believers, and they had begun to listen to inaccurate prophecy teachers who had told them and actually claimed to be Paul, and they told them that the rapture had already taken place. We need to be listen, careful who we listen to. There's a lot of junk out there. And if it brings fear, if it brings anxiety, it's probably not from God. Unless you're lost and you need to get born again and you're one of those that are, are, are running and nobody's pursuing you. We'll look more about, at that next time. It says, these believers, they, they were young in their faith and when they heard that Jesus had already returned, they were afraid that they had been left behind. What a terrible thinking that would be. I mean, wouldn't it be awful to think the rapture had already occurred? I mean, You've probably read the books or seen the movie about Left Behind. I mean, I mean the Kirk Cameron one was, was kind of worse than the the second one. What was his name, the guy in the second one? Nick, Nicholas, Nicholas, Cage. Nicholas Cage. I mean, I mean, that one, they knew they were in trouble, and, and that one right off the bat. But wouldn't it be awful to think you'd been left behind? I mean, how terrible would it be to miss the rapture? Especially if you knew what it was. And that guy's across the table from me, and I just told him about Jesus, and he's coming again one day, and I'm gone. He's like, oh, heck, we're in trouble. 
You don't want to miss the rapture. But that's what they thought. He said, now we beseech you, brethren. The word beseech, the, 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 the Greek word is erotao, and it describes an earnest request by someone with a preferred position. So what he's saying is it's a request that came with the expectation that the request would be heard, honored, obeyed, and satisfied. In other words, the Apostle Paul is pulling rank on these believers. He's saying, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying, and I want you to obey fully what I'm about to tell you. Because they were living in fear. He's trying to help them. So then he begins to talk about the rapture. Now let's make sure we understand the rapture and the second advent of Jesus are two different things. All right. He mentions the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word coming, and we looked at this last time, is, is the Greek word parousia, which indicates the moment when Christ comes to collect his people at the end of the age. Okay, This word parousia is often used to d- describe the second coming of Christ and not the rapture of the church. So Paul uses them interchangeably, and they're two different events. The rapture, you understand, occurs at the end of the church age. That's the age we live in right now. The second coming of Christ, or the second advent, will take place at the end of the seven-year tribulation. I want you to understand, and we'll know more as we go, we're not here during the tribulation. The scripture, I believe, teaches us that that's not for us. We are not subject to wrath, according to the scripture, and that tribulation is a time of wrath. We're not subject to that. Jude, one of Jesus' brothers, in his book of Jude says, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. That's at the second advent, the second coming of Christ. Jesus, according to what we can see in the Bible, Jesus comes back on a horse. And we're going to be on horses right behind him. I don't know if you've ever been horseback riding, but that's going to be some ride when you come back with Jesus. It'll be different than the ones where they have the little old nags that only walk. We're going to be coming back with the army of Jesus Christ. And and after that tribulation, Jesus comes. He deals with all of his enemies. And we're going to be in that army. But Paul uses this word perosia here. He uses it interchangeably in his writings about the second coming and the rapture. But here in this verse, he's talking about the rapture. And how do we know that? Because of the words that immediately follow it. Okay, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming, by the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. He's talking about the rapture, using the same language that he used in in 1 Corinthians, the same language used in 1 Thessalonians. He's talking about that. The word gathering together, the the Greek word is episinagoge. It describes a moment in the future when the Lord will quickly gather his people to himself at the end of the church age. He's coming to take us with him. So that verse says, brothers, listen carefully, for I'm asking you in the strongest of terms to hear what I'm about to say and do exactly what I'm asking you to do. The appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ is very near. The moment we've all longed for and waited for is almost upon us. I'm talking about that moment when Jesus will finally gather us together for himself. Now, next time, we're going to look at some more verses uh, right after that one that talk about this gathering to him, talk about what's going on in the world, talk about what's, what's going to happen right after we're gone. Because, you know, and he might as well tell us about it because we're not going to be here to see it. So we're going to find out those things as we move forward. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for the rapture of the church. I thank you, Jesus, that there comes a literal time when you will take us together with you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you tonight that as we've talked about being bold, let us, let us, Have fellowship with you to the degree that we'll have the boldness to warn the lost that there comes a rapture. 
to warn those that we love that don't know you that they want to go with us in the rapture and not be left behind. Lord Jesus, I thank you tonight that you have been very, very aware and very careful to instruct your church on this rapture event. Father, tonight I thank you for revelation in Jesus' name. Amen.